0: Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. God, please be with us the rest of this service. Speak to us, God. God, we echo the prayer of the disciples in the book of Acts that you would stretch forth your hand to do the miraculous, to bring healing. God, to change lives, that you would shake this place with your presence, shake our lives with your presence, that we would never be the same again. God, we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Would you put your hands together one time and just... (laughs) Amen, amen. Well, today is a special day. Um, Most of you probably wouldn't know this, but uh, it's my son's birthday. (laughs) He's back there changing his shoes. So grateful for him and all that he does. Love you, my son. All right, we are in a series called Fan the Flame and over the past few weeks we have looked at a lot of different aspects of fire and we talked about how some of us have lost our fire. Uh, We talked about fighting fire with fire. A couple of weeks ago we experienced a spontaneous outpouring of fire as the Holy Spirit interrupted our routine to visit us in a very tangible and special way. And then last week we talked about how many of us are lying to ourselves and to others by just pretending to have fire. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 29, the psalmist said, keep me from lying to myself. And yet this is how many of us live our lives. We're lying to ourselves. And as I said last week, I can tell you from experience that without honesty, there can be no breakthrough and there will surely be no fire. If we're going to experience the fire of God in our lives, we have to be authentic, which is what we spent a lot of time talking about last week. We have to have the courage to face the scoreboard, to ask ourselves hard questions. How are you doing? Like, no, really, how are you doing? And the honest answer to this question requires time. And we we may know intuitively that something just feels off, but to get to the root of any issue takes time. It requires us to slow down long enough to listen to our heart, to listen to our bodies, to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm reading a book. It's a fantastic book by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he says this in the book, quote, hurry kills relationships. Love takes time and hurry doesn't have it. It kills joy, gratitude, and appreciation because people in a rush don't have time to enter the goodness of the moment. It kills wisdom. Wisdom is born in the quiet, the slow. Wisdom has its own pace. Hurry kills all that we hold dear. Spirituality, health, marriage, family, thoughtful work, creativity, generosity, name your value. Hurry is a sociopathic predator loose in our society. And I would add to that, hurry also extinguishes our fire and certainly doesn't allow us time to properly evaluate our fire. We have to find moments to slow down long enough to assess our inner lives. We talked about this last week. I mean, look, I get it, we're all busy. Right? We all have good excuses why we can't slow down, but excuses don't, don't change outcomes. All right, That's enough for the review. Let's talk about what fire is and is not. We talk about fire a lot in our culture. When something make, makes us angry, we say, that burns me up or that fires me up. When someone is determined, we say, there's a fire burning deep inside. When someone is passionate, we say, she had fire in her eyes. When we walk outside of our house the past few months, we've thought to ourselves, Florida must be on fire. (laughs) We often associate fire with emotion. And in the church world, it's really no different, especially in Pentecostal charismatic circles. Fire is often represented as a feeling. I want to say to you today that fire is not a feeling. Fire is not an emotion. Emotions, feelings, passion can all be a result of fire, but the emotion itself is not the fire. I want to submit to you today that scripturally speaking, fire is a purifying, consuming agent. I want to revisit the quote from D.L. Moody that's been a recurring theme of this series He says this, I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of selfishness and ambition and self-seeking and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will come and fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit, ambition and self-seeking pleasure and the world, there is no room for the spirit of God. I also believe that many a man is praying to God to fill him when he is already full with something else. Before we pray that God would fill us, I believe we ought to pray that he would empty us. There must be an emptying before there can be a filling. And when the heart is turned upside down and everything that is contrary to God is turned out, then the Holy Spirit will come. Asking for the fire of God is really a dangerous prayer. And the problem is because we've integrated fire and emotion to mean the same thing. When we ask God for the fire, we've come to think that we're asking him for more passion. And I don't want to downplay the importance of being more passionate for the things of God. But when we pray for the true fire of God, what we're really asking for is that the Holy Spirit would burn out or consume everything that's not of him. As D.L. Moody said, there must be an emptying before they can be a filling. I want us to look at a very famous passage of scripture regarding the fire of God. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to read quite a, quite a few verses today. 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, verse 1, then we're going to jump to 18. It says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, Ahab is the king, Elijah is, or Elijah is the prophet, he said, As the Lord God of Israel, sorry, as the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So Elijah was the prophet. He spoke for the Lord. He declared a drought on behalf of God. And now several years have passed. And we go into 1 Kings chapter 18. Verse 1. It says, This, after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab. Again, Ahab is the king, and I will send rain on the land. So it's been three years with no dew and no rain. The ground is parched. Crops are failing. The people are thirsty. They need rain, but rain doesn't precede fire. Fire always precedes rain. Let's drop down to verse 16 of 1 Kings 18. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Let me give you a little back story. They've been, since Elijah declares there's going to be no rain, everybody's, not everybody, but the king, Jezebel, the queen, they're all pretty mad at Elijah. They've been looking for him. It's a manhunt. And so he randomly shows up after God gives him the direction to go and meet the king again. So Elijah's response is, I've not made trouble for Israel. You and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baal's. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab again is the king. Jezebel is the queen. Ahab is accusing Elijah of being the one who caused the drought and brought trouble on Israel. And Elijah is just pointing out the obvious. You did this because of your disobedience. Verse 20, And so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Let's go get two bulls. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set it on fire. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. And the people said, what you say is good. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them and prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom, until blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And then Elijah said to all of the people, "Come here to me." He's Elijah's done with this. This is enough of this nonsense. Come here to me. They came to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seeds of of seed. This would have been about three and a half gallons. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Now they're in a drought. Remember how long they've been in a drought. At least three years, longer, a little bit longer than three years. So he says, bring these four large jars of water, pour it on the wood. Do it again, he said. And again, do it a third time. He ordered and they did it a third time. And the water ran down on the altar and even filled the trench that he had dug. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all of the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. And Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And it was a long passage, a lot, a lot of reading. I want to go back and highlight just a few verses. In verse 21, Elijah asked the people, he said, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Now, we know that everything in the Old Testament is a type or a shadow of things that were to come. The Old Testament was a predictor, so to speak, of Jesus. We don't literally see Jesus in the Old Testament, yet everything is pointing to Jesus. And so Elijah says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. The word opinions here in the Hebrew is the word se'apa, and it literally means branch. Now, 1st Kings reminds me of John chapter 15, which has been a recurring theme for the last several weeks. Let me, let me remind you of what it says. John chapter 15 verse 1 Jesus is talking and he says I am the true vine and the father is the gardener he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that there will so that it will be even more fruitful you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you remain in me as I remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me I am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and I and you you will bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing the fact that Jesus says he is the true vine indicates that there is also a counterfeit vine and this is essentially the same scenario that the Israelites faced all those years ago. Remember Elijah said, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver between two branches? In other words, when, when are you going to choose whose side are you on? Are you going to be a branch that's connected to the one true God? Or are you going to be a branch that's connected to Baal, the counterfeit God? Now, Baal literally means, it's Baal in Hebrew, it literally means Lord. And I believe that God is asking us the same question today. Who are you going to connect to? Who is going to be the Lord of your life? We have a bad habit of making Christianity cute. We bow our cute little heads and raise our cute little hand and pray a cute little prayer. And boom, I'm a cute little Christian. And the problem with this kind of Christianity is that when the going gets tough, we can't make it. And because we've made our walk with Christ about us and not about Him, the moment we don't get our way, we're out. We need the kind of Christianity that will get us to the other side of devastating circumstances. We need the kind of Christianity that will get us to the other side of loss and death. The kind of Christianity that will see me through when I'm facing divorce, bankruptcy, or losing a job. The kind of Christianity that will sustain us when all hell is breaking loose. Listen, Jesus isn't interested in an invitation into your heart, although that's part of it. Jesus is interested in being the Lord of your life. Elijah asks, who are they going to connect their branch to? Jesus says, if you don't connect to me, you're not going to make it. But those who connect to Baal are about to perish. Those who connect to the one true God, then they better get their rain boots on. Better get your umbrella because it's about to rain. But before we get to the rain, let's go back a few verses. Verse 37. Elijah prayed, answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Elijah is asking for the fire for one reason, so that the people will repent. He said, turning their hearts back. Again, the word repent means to change your mind or to turn around and go the other way. This means they were once following the true God, but they were swayed away by Baal, the counterfeit God. And I think the question that we all have to answer again is who is the Lord of our life? Are we serving the one true God or are we serving Baal? And my guess is no one in the room is literally worshiping Baal with intention. No one is lighting candles and trying to find quiet time to spend with Baal. But what about the unintentional things, the good things, our jobs, our families, our kids, our spouse, our church, our politics? How many of us, myself included, live for our kids? You said that before. Listen, I know this is difficult, but nothing should be more important than our relationship with Jesus. Our kids and our spouse are of utmost importance. But if we're not connected to the vine first, then they won't be either. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil. And it also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Again, the fire is a consuming agent. When the fire fell, there was nothing left. It consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and it licked up the water in the trench. The intention of the fire of God in our lives is to consume everything that's not of Him and leave us empty so that He can fill us. It's not about emotion. I know we sing some hype, hype songs, really some old songs, you know. And I, you know, I like... One of my favorite genres is black gospel. Like, I don't like CCM. That's why I don't listen to Christian radio. When you get in, you're not going to, you know, my car's not, we have Joy FM programmed, but I can't tell you the last time the radio was on. Right? And we're singing, we're, to like, dance, dance, dance. All night. And I like that. And that's emotional. I get it. And sometimes the spirit of God moves in a powerful way and people want to dance and they want to do all kinds of things. And, I, and that's fine. I get that. But the fire of God is not about emotion. It's a consuming agent. So that everything that's in us is consumed so that there's room, like the D.L. Moody quote we read earlier, there's room for God to pour his spirit into us. That's what happened, why what happened two weeks ago was so significant. God put this entire series on pause when we had a moment and we had a moment of repentance. I mean, you think the moment of weeping and tears wasn't the fire of God moving in people's lives? That's exactly what it was. This altar, this this whole area down here in the front, literally, not hyperbole, had puddles of tears. What was that? It was the fire of God purging us. Tears are often an emptying agent. The weeping and the tears that people experienced a few weeks ago was part of that emptying process. And because we've confused the fire of God with the feeling, I think we're missing out on the true refreshing of the Holy Spirit. The fire of God isn't about a feeling. The fire of God isn't about shouting, dancing or being excited. The fire of God isn't about the fire of God is about emptying ourselves of ourselves. The fire of God is about repentance. Watch what happens after the fire, after the Repentance. Remember, there's been no rain or dew for over three years. The land is parched and the people are thirsty. In verse 41, it says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the heavy rain. And so Ahab went off to drink or to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. He bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, And he went and he looked and there was nothing there. He said, seven times, Elijah said, go back. And the seventh time, the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. And so Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose and a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. After the fire comes the rain. The purpose of the fire is to empty us so that we can receive the rain. The fire is part of the preparation process. If we get the process backwards, we'll never experience the fullness of what God has for us. The rain is refreshing. The rain is more enjoyable. The rain is more satisfying than the fire. The fire can be painful. The fire by its nature is hot, uncomfortable, and at times seems unbearable, but it's the preparation for what is to come. The fire, then the rain pattern is all throughout scripture. In Acts chapter 3, 19, Peter said this under the unction of the Holy Spirit or under the, the Holy Spirit was prompting him to, to say this. He said, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repentance, refreshing. Fire, rain. John 15, 2. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Pruning, more fruit. Fire, rain. John 3.30, Jesus, the cousin of Jesus says, He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. John is saying, we have to empty ourselves of ourselves. We must become empty so that Christ can become our Lord and not just our Savior. Briefly go back to 1 Kings 18, verse 46. It says, The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. For those that aren't aware, the Old Testament original language was written in Hebrew. And the word Jezreel in the Hebrew means producing or yielding seed. Like the fire... The rain also should not be confused with our emotions because the rain isn't to make us feel this way or that way. While the rain is refreshing and a byproduct of rain is that we do feel better, the true purpose of the rain is to provide the harvest. And if I can be honest, this is what I'm most tired of in the church. It's because we want the rain to make us feel good. And again, listen, I'm all for feeling good. Nobody wants to feel bad. I like the emotional side of worship. I already talked about that. I like it loud. Some of you are like, yeah, we know. <laughs> I like the dance, dance, shout in the hype part of the worship. But the true purpose of the rain is for the harvest. The rain is supposed to be refreshing so that we can be refreshed enough to reach out to others. The rain is supposed to be a rejuvenating agent to help us fulfill our purpose. Anybody know what a century ride is? Anybody ever heard of that? It's a hundred mile bicycle ride, basically. I first got into bike riding when I lived in Kentucky and my pastor and I and several guys at the church would do rides all the time. And we decided that we were gonna do a century ride. We didn't even know what it was called. We just called it the 100-mile challenge. Now, I've done several century rides since. Not lately, as you could probably tell. One time I did a double century, back-to-back, 100 miles one day, 100 miles the next day to raise money for missions. And uh, I almost died. Back to my first 100-mile ride. We drove to Ohio to a trail called the Little Miami Scenic Trail. With no experience and no idea what we were doing, we set off. I'm pretty sure I did this on a mountain bike the first time, which is no bueno. (laughs) Five, 10, 20 miles, no problem. We did that all the time around town. 30, 40 miles, you're starting to feel it. 50, 60 miles in, you're having quite a bit of regret. 70 miles in, you're starting to think, I don't think I can do this. And that last 20 miles is brutal. Now, I'm not much of an athlete these days, but I used to be. And I'm telling you that a century ride, and I was young when I did this, a cent- that century ride was the hardest thing I'd ever done physically. Now, here's why I'm telling you this story. My first century ride, we were so tired. With about 20 miles left, A storm blows in. The wind was whipping. There was hail. And it felt like, oh, come on. We're not going to make it. Now we got this storm. And then there was this cold, cold rain. But in a matter of about 10 to 15 minutes, the storm was over. Before the rain, I didn't think I was going to make it. After hours and hours of riding and sweating and struggling... That rain refreshed us in such a way that we were able to finish the hundred miles. It was, it was. I, I don't even know how to describe what happened. I don't think we're gonna make it. Rain comes, lightning is popping everywhere. We thought we were gonna die for real. And my pastor was a, a he's a charismatic kind of name it, and it guy. We're riding. He's like, well, at least there's no lightning. He says it. I'm not making this up. I promise I'm not making this up. He's like, well, at least it's not hailing. (laughs) Hail starts coming. He was like, at least I was like, don't say anything else. That's enough. (laughs) But after that rain fell and it washed off all our sweat, we were soaking wet, but it was so refreshing that we easily finished that last 20 miles. The fire prepares us for rain and the rain prepares us for the harvest or to fulfill or to finish the race. In verse 41, it says this, and Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there is the sound of heavy rain. Elijah heard the rain before he saw it. Now we have to be careful when we're reading our Bibles about placing ourselves into every story. And we've talked about this before. One of my favorite examples of getting things all jacked up is from the book of Joshua. And Joshua told people, he told Joshua, he said, you can have every place that you set your foot. And to this day, people are out here walking around things, claiming that God is going to give them something that he never promised them based on a promise that God actually gave Joshua. I won't go into all of it, but in that passage in the book of Joshua, God was very specific in the instructions that he gave. He said, your territory will extend from this border to this border and from this place to that place. God laid out the territory very clearly. And then he said, everywhere you set your foot, you can have it. So as long as Joshua stayed within the territory that God assigned, he was able to claim that as his own. It's not a just blanket state, but just to start walking around. Try it today. Go walk around somebody's house you want and see what happens. (laughs) So we have to be careful about placing ourselves in these things, right? And saying, oh, this is just exactly for me or whatever. There is some context to scripture. Everybody knows that, right? Well, once God laid out the territory, he said, everywhere you place your foot. But again, it was within the specific context of territory that God laid out. Now, I say that to you to say this. I try to be very careful about not taking things out of context. The verse said that Elijah heard the rain before he saw it. And I'm telling you that I hear the sound of rain for everyday church. The fire is the preparation for the rain. The rain is the preparation for the harvest because with no rain, there can be no harvest. And I hear inside the sound of an abundance of rain. Don't let this moment pass you by. Allow the consuming fire of the Holy Spirit to burn up everything that's not of Him. Let's repent of our sin. Let's repent of our complacency. Let's repent of our selfishness and our apathy and our ungrateful hearts. And let's let the fire of God purify us so that the rain can come. One of the things I'm most concerned about with this transition as we move from here over near the sportsplex to that other building is that we become so so focused on the building that we lose that we lose our sense of mission. Hear me. Everyday church is not about a building. And while there will be a lot of emphasis the next 3 months as we renovate, the reason that God has provided that is because we have honored him and been obedient to what he's asked us to do so far. And I have no intention of getting over there and, and having a feeling of, oh, we've, we did it. We arrived. This is our place. Look at this. There are people that are hurting and broken and lost and they need the hope of Jesus Christ. And that will be our focus no matter what. It, it makes me laugh, but it makes me cry. No. The, p- the problem is they left the bathroom door open. <clears throat> no, what, what more beautiful sound could there be yeah. than kids celebrating and learning to worship and learning, oh, like... Amen, amen. <laughs> amen. My two sons are back there, and some of yours are too, and... I hear the sound of rain, but I see the sights of more, even more kids. Right now we can facilitate 25, 30 kids over there at the new building. We'll be able to facilitate 50, 70, 100. Right now we could if we were packed out and everybody was miserable, we could put 200 people in here. Over there we can put 350. And when we get there, it's going to feel empty. Two-thirds of the building will be empty with this number. Right now, it feels full because we're in a small place. When we get over there, we're going to be like, whoa. (laughs) But may the empty chairs be a reminder that we're here for harvest. I don't know where I'm headed from here. I just uh, feel like I'm rambling. I just want you to embrace the fire, not as an emotion, but as a consuming agent. Let's ask God to pur- purify us. Let's let's recount that quote from D.L. Moody and allow that to be the cry of our heart instead of saying, oh, God, fill me. And we sing the songs, fill me up, God, fill me up, God. But now I just almost feel dumb. Like, yeah, of course I can't be filled because there's too much of myself in here. And we leave church and there's no change and we're just the same and there's and I told you week one of this series I'm just tired of church like if we're just here if we're just here to check the box don't come right we could all be at the beach we could all be hanging out doing other things I don't want that anymore I don't want that for my life and I don't want it for your life and I think the reason that you're here and the reason that you keep coming back and listening to these terrible jokes is because you're also hungry for something more. And this is not a put down on any other church. I, I don't know what other churches are doing. I don't know what. I I don't know. That's none of my business. We're all on the same team trying to take people like we're all, you know what I mean? I'm saying, like Joshua, God has given us a territory and we're gonna walk around and we're gonna take that territory. And God has spoken to the pastor of First Baptist, and he's spoken to the pastor of Celebration Church, my great friend Jay. He's spoken to the pastor of Sacred Fire, and he's spoken to the pastor at First Assembly, and all the local churches in Meadowbrook and the Springs and all of that. And they have territory that God has laid out, and it's their job to step in and and do what they're supposed to do. And as we all take our own territory, then the kingdom grows. Can we pray just for a moment? On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.